CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinWorld Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coin World Podcast. I realize that it's been a while since I've been able to say that. And in case you need to remember, I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark. Uh, You might remember me from a past episode or a hundred. Thank you so much for being here this week. This week we are here as always, thanks to CoinWorld Plus. Uh, They are giving a voice to your coin. Check them out at coinworldplus.com, I believe. And there's an app as well, which reminds me, I need to download it now that I have a new phone. I have not downloaded that app yet to update my uh, all my coin collecting apps in the, you know, I have a folder of all that stuff. That's, that has a place in there. Uh, I don't know about you, Larry, but um, yeah, that's, um, that's where I sit. That's where I am. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of a place for everything and everything in its place, except right now, everything's not quite in its place, but uh, I did have the opportunity. I will tell you this right now, because I know we, uh, we had the opportunity to exchange our Maya Angelou quarter uh, on that CSNS that recently was held in April here. I did get my next, uh, my Sally Ride quarter. I got two of them actually. So I was able to uh, get that into a two by two and get it into position right there. It just hasn't been put into the folder. It's still sitting in a spot where it's protected, but it's still there, but a, a place for everything and everything in its place. And when you digitally manage them, because I have a, a section for the coin programs that I have on my phone. So the Coin World Plus is right there, and I know it's 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 comfortable right there. And, you know, I'm going to get some some more of these, uh, you know, graded coins. And once I get them, of course, the Coin World Plus is where I'm going to turn to to make sure that I've got them tagged and get them as best that they possibly can be. Because it, it's certainly exciting times as we've got a lot of things that are going on here. As we head to summer, the long, hot summer, I know the kids are chomping at the bit to get out of school here. And uh, But for us here in the uh, coin world side of things, the excitement just continually goes goes around here. I, I, what have you been working on lately? What's been happening in your world? I've been kind of gone for a couple of weeks, and I, I appreciate what you and Chris have been doing here. You've had some great interviews. What else has been happening? Well, you know, I was just in Ohio to visit the home office, and I that allowed me to go to the Shelby County Coin Club Coin Show. And probably the, the star acquisition there was a 1991 China two-ounce silver panda coin, which uh, I thought it was a good buy, and it turns out it was a steal. Uh, the guy basically sold it at Melt, although he was – you know, premiums are strong for silver right now, uh, but I I thought, you know what, I'm pretty sure it's a good deal. I didn't know how good. Um, I have some earlier pandas earlier in the 2000s. I didn't have any panda that old, and boy, am I glad I picked it up. It's, it's a lesson in uh, having the powder dry when the opportunity arises, and um you know, having an inkling, a little bit of knowledge there. I didn't know 
it's true market value, but I had an inkling and I took a risk. And uh, sometimes those those turn out to be, you, you think you got a good deal and nope, it, you're going to have to be buried with that coin. They say you get buried in a coin, but um, this was a, that was a fun buy and it's an, it's a neat little, uh, neat little thing. It's a PA four that's double thick. Um, so it's the same diameter as you would normally expect, but it's like twice as thick or chonky as the kids say. But um, so that was fun. That was cool. Of course, you know, that wasn't the only reason I was there. I got to see folks from the Shelby County Coin Club who've, uh, you know, I've known for 15 plus years now. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a good time. And I popped in for a couple hours and, uh, and then hit the road. But uh, that was the big thing for me being back in the office, seeing folks, um, you know, bump into somebody and run an idea past them, that kind of thing. That's why I try to get back a handful of times a year. And uh, this was my first time this year. And I came home with a cooler full of pie from the spot in Sydney. Uh, you know, any, anybody listening, if you happen to be going on I-75 north or south and you, you come to Sydney, you got to make a detour for the spot for pie. And uh, if you're into uh, exotic food, Senny Grill, Senny, S-E-N-E. That's the big report from Sydney from last week. Well, let me take you back to the show, the Shelby County show that you went to here. Do you find, and uh, your experience in the past, is now we're going to have more, more and more people getting back out there and getting into shows. Do you find it is better for you to have a list of things that you're looking for or just to keep an open mind as to see what there might be there? I guess it all depends. Uh, you know, I am not really building sets in a traditional manner. You know, I'm not chasing Canadian large cents um, and putting them in an album or a folder, right? If I were, then yes, I would want to have a list because I know there's some I'm missing and I want to fill the holes in the album or folder. But there I was just paying attention to, okay, what are they offering? And do I think it's a good value? Um, a couple of things I got actually, uh, and I was able to, the guy had a, a giant three inch bronze Dwight Eisenhower inaugural medal for $3. And he had two coin world mint medals. These were a series of bronze. They also did silver, but these were bronze that I bought uh, that show the eight various U.S. mints. The most common, most uh, easy to find one is Philadelphia Mint. I also got a Charlotte. I think that was the second one in the series. Um, he had them $2 each, and I said, will you take five for the group? You know, so knock two bucks off. So I priced it out as I got those bronze medals at a dollar each. Well, I already have some, but they're coin world related and I can't pass them up at a dollar each and they show us mints. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. I knew that was a deal. Do I quote unquote need them? No, I already have some. What I need are the silver versions. I have a couple in silver. I don't have a complete set in silver. Uh, but you know, if, if I were approaching it from, Oh, I need the 1859, whatever variety of the Canadian large cent, which I did find in a dealer's, you know, a pile of coins for 50 cents each. I know that's a three to $5 coin in the condition it's in. So 50 cents. Sure. I'll pay that. Any Canadian large cent in decent shape should be a dollar all day long, just because it's big and bronze and old and it's, you know, Canadian is very popular. Um, so, I, you know, 
no, do, do I have another? I don't remember, but the price was right. And, you know, 50 cents here, 50 cents there. Okay, $60 for my Panda coin. But, you know, I didn't walk away spending more than 100 bucks, and if that, and I had a good time. Well, and I think that the question that I ask, basically, there's no right or wrong to. It just Correct. depends on where you are, where you stand on this type of thing. And But the thing that you hit upon there is uh, the example you use by, by extracting the uh, 1850s Canadian coin is that you had the information that goes with it to allow you to recognize that this was a good deal. And uh, so I think uh, the bottom line is the message, the underlying message is if you're going to go to a coin show, be prepared. Yeah, it prepared with capital, prepared with knowledge, prepared with a list if that's what you're chasing. Uh, you know, be prepared to be prepared to be surprised by what you see and interest you. I mean, how many folks stumble into a, a, a collecting path because, you know, they're they're meeting headwinds, uh, getting resistance in one area, prices have gone up or availability is tough. You know, nobody likes to collect something that they can't find in the sense of, are you really collecting if you only add a piece to your collection every year or two? That's, you know, so you can't stay involved and on the hunt if, if it's that problematic. So, uh, you know, see what's out there. I, I talked to a, a guy who, um, locally, uh, very nice guy and, and, uh, he showed me some of his rarities and, and these are jaw dropping, as far as true rarity goes, rarities and with with price tags commensurate with that reality, um, and he just bought them because they were rare and they were interesting and they had a neat story, and they're not part of any sort of set or anything. It's just what caught his eye, and you know that's it's one of those chestnuts or bromides. It's it's a old uh, saying: buy what you like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's the idea, too, that, I mean, it depends on what your attitude is going to be about things like, you know, for example, the, the, the idea of buying a birth year uh, from all around the world. Well, there are some coins that are more plentiful than others. There are some countries that didn't put out uh, many coins that year, that type of thing. You've got to always be prepared to run into, like, a, a dry spell. You're, you're going to hit a slump. You're going to be able to get 15 coins one time and maybe only get one, two, less than that even. And that's just the biggest thing is you've got to check yourself in my, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just actually giving myself advice here. Just check yourself and remember why you're doing this and don't get discouraged because it's so easy to build up, a, you know, a third of a collection, a half of a collection, get discouraged, get distracted, whatever the case may be. And next thing you know, you got something that five years down the road, you discover and went, oh yeah, I remember when I was doing that. So, I mean, that's one of the things I always caution against is make sure that you have the commitment that's necessary and understand. And I've heard people talking about this, about getting a mentor and about getting uh, getting understanding, getting uh, knowing what's tough, what's not tough. I mean, it's just like who would have thought that it'd be difficult to get circulation state quarters. And, you know, you get some of the years. I mean, I got 1999s and 2000s beyond what, what you believe, but some of the later issues are tougher and tougher to find. So you would have thought the opposite would have been into play, and it's easy to go, well, I guess it's never out there. Well, you know, every now and again you get something and you you check and make sure that, you know, hey, I still need a D. Let's check this one. Oh, it's a P. Oh, darn it. And I'm still checking for that second W from 2019 and 2020. Every one of those I get, I see 19 and 20 on the back of it. I'm flipping over, and it's a P. 
But, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. And that's part of the fun of it. It's how you look at it. It's your attitude that helps a lot with this and getting that chance to get out there and, and explore. Hey, it, it's like this. I'm not a hunter. My I, my Some of my family, dad and a couple brothers uh, hunted. But, you know, you can go to the store and get it or you can go hang out in the woods and hope you find it. One's easy, one's hard, you know, but there's a sense of satisfaction that comes with you know, for those folks who are into it, I know some folks may not be, but you know, the idea that, Hey, you know, I was able to bag this game, if you will, are you shopping for it? Or are you just, are you hunting for it? And mm-hmm. you're on the hunt, uh, for your collection. That's why it's good to have more than one area of interest. You know, if you have a couple areas of interest, there's always, you know, if you hit a dry spell on one, then you shift your focus to another and you can always meander back and forth. And, uh, that way you'll never get truly stuck. And, um, you always have a reason to be engaged and, uh, you know, things will clear up and, and eventually you'll get, uh, that thing that you've been looking for. Yep. And we're going to move on here. I've got some news that's coming up a little bit later on. Just wanted to tell you about that. We've got an exciting project that we're embarking upon right now that uh, we're going to need uh, you, the listener. We're going to need your help on this one. And we hope that we can uh, get you involved with that as well. So we're going to tell you a little bit more about that. That's going to be coming up toward the end of our program after this great interview we have uh, planned with the uh, this, this was a fun interview. I mean, the, I mean, this was a really fun time for me. Yeah, uh, Dave Heinrich is just has always been just a super nice guy, and uh, he's he's um, really involved in serving the hobby, and we wanted to explore that in his journey. So you'll um, you'll want to check that out in just a bit. But before we get there, uh, I guess um, maybe it's time to um, look at uh, this week in numismatic history and this week in coin world history. Eh? Sounds good. One of the joys of doing this is there's so much history that we can sort of mine uh, for potential uh, mention or coverage. And this one I found in a, the weirdest place. Uh, I get a Google News alert uh, for certain terms, and there's an online publication, and presumably, uh, well, they, they have a print version as well, called Banker and Tradesman. And what were they tipping me off to? The passage of the Massachusetts Bay Mint Act. Uh, you know, somebody who has some rudimentary familiarity with the pre-colonial U.S. coinage, uh, or rather the colonial U.S. coinage, the pre um, confederation, if you will, um, has probably heard of the Massachusetts coinage. There were the um, oak tree shillings, the the New England coinage, the willow tree coinage, and the pine tree coinage. Uh, and this was all from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So uh, according to banker and tradesman, May 26 to 27, 1652, do the math. That's almost 400 years. That's um, 370 years 
actually. Uh, that was when the passage of the Massachusetts Bay Mint Act occurred. Uh, early Massachusetts colonists had some forms of coins, including wampum, a shell used when trading with Native American tribes, as well as international coins. There's a great book about world coins that were used uh, before the U.S. became the U.S. Uh, I think it's America's foreign coinage. Anyway, uh, British authorities wanted colonists to barter for goods or services, but the Massachusetts Bay residents preferred their own coins according to the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. So they created their own coinage. And uh, these coins are dated 1652. However, coinage continued until 1682. Why are these all dated 1652? Do you have any idea? And no, this is not your trivia question. That comes later. Um, No, not really, because they did things differently 370 years ago. So I'm not sure. So, you know, at the time the U.S. was not the U.S., they were still beholden to the Brits, right? Aha, yes. And in 1652, that was uh, during Cromwell's uh, era, I believe, and these coins maintained their date so that uh, they... You know, the colonist, if caught, could slyly say, well, those were made back then. They're not they're not current, you know, if if the crown had a a problem with it. So uh, even though they really were dated and minted various times up to 1682, the willow tree coinage, 1653 to 1660, the oak tree coinage, 1660 to 1667, the pine tree coinage, the last batch of years, 1667 to 1682. So uh, it's a fun little nugget of U.S. numismatic trivia and history and uh, it doesn't get much more original than that right for american coinage history definitely that's i mean you, when you look at that and look at the uh, the age involved there and you begin to understand a little bit more about the time so uh, thank you for sharing that that's a, it's really a fitting uh, fitting spot for today so let's go now into uh, Coin world itself. I mean, that, that can only go back 62 years. So what year did you choose <laughs> to go with this time? Yeah, and, and uh, it is a shame, I suppose, that um, Chris wasn't here for this uh, to hear that, although he'll have to hear it once the um, the episode goes live. But I chose the May 24th, 1967 issue. I chose this because if, uh, as you'll hear with uh, our interview with uh, Mr. Heinrich, that he started collecting coins in the 1960s. And he also, Canada figures in a large part uh, to his recent collecting uh, origins, if you will, the his return to collecting. Uh, so I thought, okay, Canada, 1960s, well, what better than 1967, the year of the Canadian Confederation? Perhaps it is a stretch, but, um, you know, it is what it is, uh, you know, uh, and it worked out because I, I uh, found on the front page of the Coin World issue, there was a story about the Treasury official uh, by the name of Barr, Joseph W. Barr. And his name is sort of important because, do you know why? 
And maybe this should be my trivia question. Maybe I shouldn't answer it to you. I was going to go a different direction. So why don't I do that? That's going to be my trivia question uh, oh. for later. Don't okay. answer it. Uh, but right. there, there was a story about uh, Treasury Undersecretary Joseph W. Barr, uh, Undersecretary at the time. He was um, proposing legislation that would write off $150 million in silver certificates immediately. That I don't think ever came to pass. There was a fun little uh, diagnostic or or thing on uh, the teaser on the front page about fake 1950 D nickels and 1939 D nickels that had turned up and the secret service uh, was alerting folks to that. Probably the only other thing that jumped out to me as sort of uh, important on the front page was a reference to a, uh, the largest bullion robbery in England's history, $2.1 million. Not what turned out to be the great train robbery. This is something else. Armored truck, uh, routine delivery and $2.1 million, 140 gold bars weighing 3,500 pounds were robbed. Uh, security is paramount today and every day. And um, we've in, in the hobby seen just multiple requests today alone as we record this of folks who have uh, committed theft or attempted theft against dealers. And certainly collectors are not as high profile targets, but they, you know, a dealer carrying half a million dollars of inventory is a higher profile than, you know, say I was walking away from the Shelby County coin show with a hundred bucks, but uh, there's still, there's still a concern there, right? There's still, you have to be mindful of it and uh, we can explore that maybe in a future episode. But uh, the idea that, um, you ever you have to be vigilant. There are routine reports uh, weekly about this stuff. Now, granted, in a in a nation of three hundred and thirty million or whatever it is, you know, it, it's I don't want to say it's insignificant because that would diminish uh, the reality for the folks who have been affected. Uh, they certainly do not feel that their um, the event that affected them was insignificant. It's a rather small amount uh, as far as crimes go, but it is something to be concerned about. And that is a reminder, at least from the front page there. So that's what jumped out to me. Well, over on the letters page, um, we normally had, you know, a lot of letters that had little headings above them. But this time in 1967, that wasn't the practice. So basically reading through them, we found a couple of them of interest, some of them kind of self-serving. So we kind of skipped over those. But there was one letter here. Keep in mind, this is from 1967. So it said, less than 25 years ago, December 1943, I sold my coin collection consisting of 1,827 different U.S. coins, or coins U.S. from half cent, and that was all the way up to a dollar, to a Mr. James Kelly of Dayton, Ohio. It lists the price there. It's really um, well, all right, it's public. I mean, it has been out now for quite a few years. He sold them for $2,935. And it says the transaction was mutually satisfactory. The three most expensive coins were the $1,858 and the $1,797 half dollar fine that bought at Stacks auction for $120 and $150 respectively. So it goes on down to explain a few more of the coins. And then, uh, the 1895 Brilliant Proof Dollar and the 1893S got for $4.50 and $1.35. 1895 Brilliant Proof Dollar. Hmm. 
In checking over the 1942 catalog of auction sales, note that five 1895 proofs brought from $6.30 to $7.30, and today the coin is offered for $4,725. Yikes. Says maybe this little reminiscence will inspire coin collectors to uh, maybe set aside a few for Junior to have on his 21st birthday, but please don't count on a 1,000% profit. That's from R.L. Bags of New Fairfield, Connecticut. So another letter. This one has to do with valuation. It says, I just read a Coin World editorial on collectorship. It's been long my belief that when someone says, what's it worth? They're not really being commercial. What they're really saying is, how desirable is it? How scarce is it? How much of demand is it? Since these are the things that affect price, they always ask, what is it worth? The more knowledgeable a collector becomes, the less he finds the need to ask that question. I have often seen the phrase criticized, and it seems that this is unfair insinuation that the party using the term is stupid. Confusing ignorance with stupidity is ignorance in itself. And that's from Ralph Strong of South Pasadena, California. And I'm in the process of making up a plaque that says confusing ignorance with stupidity is ignorance in itself. I'm going to keep that handy here. But that's 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 what I took out of it. So that's a great bumper sticker. No question. Problem is, uh, you know, that would lead to road rage on a lot of people who would take it personally. (laughs) So assuming they could read. But still, you know, just the idea that that's, uh, you know. A great way to to close off a letter right there, and I certainly appreciate that back from 1967, of course. So, very uh, very poignant for my for my opinion. So, 55 years ago, double nickel. So, yeah, don't, yeah. Whew. hard huh. to believe. You 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 were barely born. No. Uh, yeah, I was not that barely born. I was on the verge of middle school. (laughs) I'm I'm being polite. (laughs) I know. I realize that you're respectful of your elders. I get that. That's right. uh, What'd you say, Shani? So, (laughs) so, so anyway, Hey, that was, that was interesting. I, um, I found it. He mentions a Dayton, Ohio dealer. Of course, uh, James Kelly was involved in the 1913 nickel and story, and he was one reason Coinworld was so successful because he helped Coinworld early on with pricing, and that was uh, the thing that set Coinworld apart. You know, numismatic news actually predates Coinworld um, several years, and. Um, but Coinworld had weekly pricing data, and uh, he was part of the reason for that and the success of that. And um, so, so we have to tip our hat to him. And of course, now you know, my gosh, the pricing data is available instantly. Although, you know, we know that the input of data is not necessarily uh, changing. You know, by the by the second, uh, you know, different categories of coins might get updated different times based on when the price guide editors and and contributors are reviewing it but um you know there's there's a lot more tools available now to get that information to answer what it's worth quote unquote than there was back then indeed times they are changing as they say so all right dylan i'm just glad that i can understand you Yes, as well you should. I mean, so just sit at my knee and listen to what I have to say. But uh. 
Anyway, hey, I think I, I'm going to be put to the test here, though, right? Is it yes. my turn to be put to the test? Yes. So, um, you know, last episode, you weren't here for this, but you're still, we're holding your feet to the fire. Um, we we talked about how many Native Americans were employed as the composite models for the Indian head five cent piece. That That was the question. How many were employed for this, uh, just because it sort of aligned with uh, what we were talking about with John Kralovich. Um, do you happen to know the answer at all? This is Coin World Trivia Game expert level question. Oh, okay. I mean, I my thought would be that there would, would be at least a couple, but I was thinking maybe along the line of three. But I'm, that would I'm, that would have to be a 100% guess. I mean, I've had the same opportunities because the episode, the great episode they had, the great interview with John you had, I mean, I could have looked it up, and I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I did not look it up. I know what the question was. I did not look it up. But I would just kind of hope that maybe I could just take a shot in the dark here. I mean, you know, Rich Strike was an 80-to-1 long shot at the Kentucky Derby and came through. So maybe I can – I'm going to go with three. And you are absolutely correct. So um, there were several natives um, that James Earl Frazier worked with, uh, the sculptor who designed the the coin. But um, yeah, there there's um, you definitely got that right. I'm I'm, gosh, I'm just thinking, is do we have do we have their names? That would be I would like to at least acknowledge their names. I don't, I don't see that anywhere. So well, let's, uh, if, if somebody out there has their names, drop us a line, let us know. I mean, we'd be happy to, to find out. I mean, uh, I know the email email addresses will appear and, uh, we're also going to have additional information in the uh, show links to this particular episode that we'll tell you a little bit about that after our interview. But, uh, you know, anytime we encourage you to be involved with that, if you knew or guessed at that trivia question and or if you know or want to guess at the next trivia question, well, just drop us a line. Good for you. I mean, we want to hear from you. So what is the latest question? I bet Roger Burdett might know. He's a past Coin World podcast guest. So this week, I, uh, you know, I mentioned Joseph Barr earlier. And I just want to know why is he significant and why is a numismatic item related to him readily available today? So, uh, Joseph Barr, right. for those, you know, I'm, I'm going to write this down so I remember it because, you know, I, I got to be able to ask next week, next episode. Joseph yeah. Barr, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah. What, who, who is he? Why does it matter? Next episode, because this is a good time for us to point out that with a few things that are happening, life tends to get in the waves. We mentioned earlier, busy summer and, and all that. Uh, this episode uh, will be, there will be a little hiatus after this episode. And by a little, I mean, I, you know, just a week or so. Because, I mean, even the top TV series is take off a week every now and again. It's not like we have to change characters or anything like that. But our next episode will not whoa, be whoa, until whoa. sometime in whoa. June. One of us is one of us isn't getting killed off. <laughs> I hope. Do you mean to tell me you want me to blow the cliffhanger? Not happening here. But uh, no, we're we're demoted from the yeah. demoted we're gonna, from the show. 
Hey, I'll tell you, because I was feeling that way after you guys did two without me here. I was beginning to feel like the the odd man out. So, uh, no, what's actually going to happen is we've got uh, some some vacation time and some uh, some special things that we're working on. We mentioned earlier some special projects. And so uh, we're going to take a, a brief hiatus from the Coin World podcast. We invite you to stay tuned because it will not be long. Uh, we can't continue. I mean, it's. I think this is the first hiatus in over 160 episodes, if I'm not mistaken. So. To, uh, I think we had one week maybe, or, or maybe we just did a best of or something and haven't actually. But so I have to ask, though, can you tell me a little bit about the special projects that are going yes. on? Is that- yes, I'll tell you about that. And then we'll be getting into our interview that we have for you here. But uh, last year, some of you may be aware that we did a publication, a special publication celebrating uh, the 60th anniversary of Coin World. It was called The Most Influential People in Numismatics. And that was a very, very uh, highly successful activity. And so we've decided in 2022 that we're going to continue to produce a special issue. But this year, we're going to once again draw upon the participation of the Coin World readers, the Coin World listeners, everybody that's involved with it. We want you to have your voice in this one. So we are going to be asking you to make some selections based on an extensive list that we have about people that should be included in the influencers. Now, they could have been included in last year's group. That's fine. They continue to be influencers. Some may not make the list because we have to cut it off somewhere, but we have a list of well over 200 people who are eligible for consideration. They're all worthy. They've had an impact on it. It could be collectors, dealers, researchers, authors, club officials, designers, artists, authenticators, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. Uh, you know, so we're just basically asking you, if you want to get involved in this, there's no obligation, but we want to have your, we want to hear your voice. Who do you think's influential? There may not be somebody on there that, uh, you know, if you know them, they uh, are not included. I think you can add them. But uh, we're going to put that link up there on both the show notes and it eventually is going to appear at coinworld.com. But it's interesting that, uh, you know, we, we want your voice on this. And uh, there's another one I'm going to follow up following our interview. And there's another thing I'd like to have your help with. So uh, keep that in mind. But we want you, the listener, the Coin World reader, to be involved in 2022. So check out that survey at that link. Awesome. All right. So um, I guess then we just need to pivot to the interview and uh, you hang on. It's a fun one. Uh, hear about how uh, one family really is serving the hobby. And uh, Dave Heinrich out of Cincinnati, we had fun talking to him at the Central States Numismatic Society show. Uh, a little while back, and then we talked to him once everybody got back, the dust was settled, to um, get his story recorded for posterity's sake. Here is our interview. The Coin World Podcast is delighted today to be joined by David Heinrich, who is the president of the Cincinnati Numismatic Association, as well as the editor of their their club publication, and uh, the board's chairman of the Cincinnati Numismatic Exposition. But that's not why we are speaking to him today, because David is somebody who has been instrumental in serving young collectors through the Central States Numismatic Society for uh, nigh on 25 plus years now. Thanks so much for being here. Sure. Thank you. 
Having been in Ohio for all that time, I've come to know you for a little while now, but I don't think we've ever talked about your collecting journey. Usually our discussions center around, you know, the Cincinnati Club, the show, uh, maybe Central States. When were you exposed to coin collecting? How did you come into it, you know, in your life? I can't really remember how young I was. I, I collected, you know, in the 60s and like many others tried to fill the, the Whitman folders. I remember, you know, searching and finding mercury dimes and uh, steel cents and, you know, uh, other occasional silver coinage in circulation. And then like a lot of others, I got a little bit older and, and it kind of went dormant for a while. When did you get back into it then? Was it, um, I mean, I understand there's a family connection. Is that what rekindled the interest or was there some other crystallizing moment? I guess there was a crystallizing moment when uh, our uh, oldest daughter, Katie, found uh, my collection when she was quite young. We were, I think, maybe getting Christmas ornaments out or something in the storage room and wanted to know what it was. And uh, she seemed interested. And shortly after that, on a trip to Canada, I happened to buy a coin store there. And, and I went in and bought a uh, Canadian cent album and uh, stopped by a bank up there, got $20 worth of rolls of Canadian cents. And uh, in the evenings in the hotel room, we would sort through and start to fill that, uh, that album. And that's kind of that kind of drew me back into it, her interest, and it mushroomed from there throughout the family in the following years. Awesome. Now, you've been involved with the Central States Numismatic Society for quite a while. How did you become aware of the organization and then uh, tap into uh, what they're doing? Um, and then later, of course, we'll talk about uh, how what you're doing with them now. But how did you get into that? Because uh, it seems to me that um, Katie was the conduit, right? She was. Um, and we were, I don't remember the year, but we were in Indianapolis, I believe, at the, the Indiana State Numismatic Association's annual show. And Katie had, uh, I think, her first exhibit. And Ray Lockwood, who was with Central States at the time, uh, came up to us and said, you know, you you really should have her come and exhibit at the Central States show. And he told us all about it. We had not known of its existence. And so um, we did exactly that the following year and then um, went every year for, gosh, probably 15 years or more. Also started attending after that the uh, World's Fair of Money every year. Uh, Ray Lockwood, may his memory be a blessing. He was so helpful to a lot of young collectors. Was he somebody who sort of mentored or helped Katie as she engaged in her journey? And, and how did that unfold? Because, you know, Katie turned out to, I think, was editing the Cincinnati publication, maybe Winning Ways, which is Women in Numismatics. Um, was that, um, did she come into it? through him and, and central states then? Well, yes. Uh, Ray would, would, was the beginning, and there were a lot of other supportive people along the way. Uh, it just kind of grew in, in all directions, so to speak. And 
Ray was our initial introduction, but then there were people at the ANA and other people at um, Central States like Patty Finner. And uh, I think that's how we got introduced to uh, women in numismatics. And uh, Katie did become the editor for, for that organization and uh, at a very young age. And so uh, there was a period of about maybe five, six, seven, eight years where we were, as a family, very active and going in multiple directions. Katie edited uh, the Cincinnati Numismatic Association's letter, uh, Winning Ways, and also for a while, the Ohio State Numismatic Association's newsletter. Hmm. Uh, coins have really become important to the Heinrich family. Yes, they have. You know, when when our two girls, Katie and our younger daughter, Anna, were, you know, of that age and they were exhibiting, we would uh, arrange with their teachers to take them out of school a couple of days so we could get to the particular Central States show so they could set up their exhibits. Um, they would do their homework in the van while we were driving to Milwaukee or wherever, whatever city it was in that year. Um, it was a great time. We, it was a, a lot of fun for all four of us. And the girls learned a lot by doing that and by being in the hobby. What does it take to bring a, a child up in the hobby? I mean, I, I appreciate that you're talking about the sacrifice that you and Heidi made uh, your wife and, and their mother. Um, and it's something that I know that like, I didn't have that support structure of, you know, people who would take me to shows and get me involved in all that. Um, what lessons could you share with other parents or guardians uh, of kids who want to be involved in coins? I guess I would say, Follow the child's interest. If they're interested, you know, take it to whatever limits you're able to take it to. For us, it was, you know, planning our family vacations around central states and uh, ANA shows. Um, and, uh, you know, we made a lot of friends. We had a lot of fun. And, and we would, you know, extend those trips and not just go to the show, but, you know, visit national park ever seeing or tie in uh, along with those trips. So I think it just comes down to following the child's interest and going wherever that takes you. Awesome. At some point it shifted from a family event to something more of service. Uh, and I suppose that was while, you know, Katie was younger and, and I don't, know if Anna was much involved, so you can set me straight in that. Let's explore that transition, though, and how, you know, your your attendance shifted into your service to the organization. How did that develop, and how did that unfold, I guess? Well, um, you're right. Uh, Anna was less involved. She did it, I think, mostly because her sister did, um, but she enjoyed it, too. But as far as the transition at some point I began to feel like so many people had been so good to us that I just needed to, to try to give back. And um, that led me to run for the board of central States. And I served in that capacity for 10 years. And, and during that time, actually Bruce Benoit was uh, running the, 
the YN program at the time. And um, so I, I kind of went on with him and the two of us did it together for a couple of years. And then Bruce wound up uh, moving out of the area and I took over. Um, so I owe a lot of credit to Bruce um, for uh, kind of getting me started in that. And uh, that kind of grew into other things into um, I went along with Katie to summer seminar many years. And uh, one year I took photography, liked it so much. I took it again. Um, years later, I was there and and uh, Tom Mulvaney had hurt his back and, and couldn't teach. I heard about it and I kind of dropped in on uh, Clark Fogg, who was all alone and kind of helped out with him in that class and discovered I really enjoyed that. So that I wound up being a volunteer instructor in the photography class for a number of years. And, and now I'm doing that too. Huh. Very cool. You took over or really uh, stepped into that role that Bruce Benoit had. What, what do you do in a typical event like the young numismatist, event that was uh, on the Saturday of the Schaumburg show, you know, the, uh, the central state show in Schaumburg that Saturday, there was a, a big block of time that, I mean, you're basically <laughs> not drop off the kids and, and, you know, you're in charge, but I mean, what do you do? How does that, how do you engage the, the young collectors and, and what sort of materials and, and all that, what have you learned works well? Well, we have a number of activities and it, it requires, you know, a, a fair amount of work before the show. I would say maybe 40 to 80 hours worth of work, depending. And then there's a couple of days at the show where you have to get things prepped. We have a the main thing, I guess you would say, is the, the YN treasure hunt. But we also have what we call the World Coin Challenge. Um, we have a, a nickel grading challenge. Um, uh, fill the folder activity. We have coloring books for the really young ones. But the two most popular are the, the treasure hunt and the world coin challenge. And the treasure hunt is just what it sounds like. We give them a binder, in this case, with 12 slots in it that correspond to a, a coin. Um, they go around, they, they find the dealers with the little treasure hunt sign on, on their sign. The dealer has a question, multiple choice. They answer it, possibly with help. And when they do, they get a coin that uh, corresponds to the description in that folder. And um, they do that 12 times. They come back to the table. Um, we give them a red book and a goodie bag. And uh, we have a drawing at the end of, of the time period. And we have a bunch of prizes we, you know, we just keep drawing numbers until every kid gets a prize. And by the way, the dealers have been extremely generous over the years, uh, giving us those prizes. And then the other activity is the World Coin Challenge, where we have buckets of world coins. We have all the supplies and the Krause albums, and we also show them how to use uh, Numista coin app to take a picture of, of the coin. The idea is they have to identify that coin, put it in a two by two holder and um, identify it with the country, the year, the denomination and the KM number. And then that is theirs to keep. They can do that as many times as they want. They can stay there all day and do it. 
those two are the most popular and that world coin challenge is can be with certain kids very popular uh, i had one young guy a few years back who uh i don't know how many he did 30 or 40 of them and uh today he works at heritage so i like to think that some of this stuff um inspires him to go on later in life and stay in the hobby and that's got to be you know gratifying right there. there's going to be so many things about this that are gratifying what's it like when you see somebody who was in one of the earlier programs come back several years later still interested in the numismatic activity although it, there's few of them um it, it it's a good feeling and so is when you have the treasure hunt and you have the little ones and you kind of make their day, you know, and you're introducing them to this hobby, uh, maybe sparking something. And of course you don't know for sure, but you hope that some of those little ones that maybe wouldn't have got started, got started collecting because of uh, the treasure hunt or, or the other activities. How challenging is it to come up with new ideas that, to keep them interested? Because you're dealing with so many different age ranges and so many different uh, places in their own own interests in numismatics. How challenging is that? It's very challenging. I I think you have to just a, a bit of trial and error. And when you see something that works better than than the others, you know, focus on that. And that's how we've come up with um, the treasure hunt and that world coin challenge as our kind of front runner runners, so to speak. We actually do that world coin challenge periodically at our local coin club meeting. Instead of having a educational speaker that night, we'll make it world coin night. And the kids along with adult members, all are welcome. We'll get a bunch of pizza in and uh, we pretty much sit all night and go through those foreign coins and, do the same thing, identify them, put them in the holder, and it's yours to keep. I seem to recall something like that at one of the uh, one of my visits to the Cincinnati club. <laughs> yeah, I think we tied it in because your presentation was on world coinage. So I think we tied it in with your presentation that meeting. Uh, so very cool. I, I, of course, since I write about world coins and collect world coins, I love hearing that you're uh, sharing the, the gospel of world coinage. Now, um, what, if anything, is is your collecting area today? And uh, I guess also, does Katie still collect? Is she still, I know she's not maybe involved at, uh, certainly at the level she was 10, 15 years ago, but um, how are you involved from a collector side, uh, if at all, today? Well, as far as Katie goes, her collecting hobby interests are kind of dormant right now. She's she lives in Europe and she's very busy um, as a postdoc researcher at the university in, in uh, Brussels. So she doesn't really have much time for it. Of course, I have the hope that later in her life, she'll, she'll remember and, and come back to it. Um, she has, when she's been home a couple of times, we've gone together to coin shops and of course visiting um, with bread at uh, Coins Plus, and so she hasn't totally severed her relationship with the hobby. But as as far as my interest, or they kind of just bounce all over the place. It's I guess easiest to say when I see something I like, I I, I buy it. 
um, well, guilty as charged within reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got the 1933 double eagle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but that, for instance, at the last show here, I just I picked up a, a modest, modestly priced uh, toned uh, Ike dollar. Um, but I'm also working on a uh, set of bronze uh, Mexican 20 centavos trying to get him in, in uh, BU, um, which is not too terribly difficult. And the interesting part to me about this is the level of commitment that you've made to programs like the, the YNs for CSNS. And the idea here is, you know, in clubs and like I'm sure the Cincinnati Club is the same as well, you'll have membership but there's a lot of people that simply just join to join and or just uh, have a very limited role here. Your level of commitment, your level of service to these organizations is exemplary and, and you should be uh, you know, proud of that indeed. What, what would you recommend to somebody who was maybe on the fence about getting more involved with an organization? What do you think is necessary for them to have their mindset so that they can make a positive difference? I guess I would say kind of, you know, dive in. Today, some of my best friends are people I've met in this hobby. And, you know, it's that I know outside the hobby. We go to dinner together and, and we have, you know, all kinds of fun. And so if you get involved, you'll, uh, you'll learn that there's more to the hobby than just collecting. There's making friends and and um, when you do that, um, being heavily involved is, uh, is not a burden. Um, it's inspiring. And, uh, and there's a bit of, I guess, reminiscence for me that, you know, I, I don't want to forget the fun our family had when the girls were young. Um, and uh, and I, I love the hobby. So I guess for me, it's, it's, it's not hard. Um, I, I enjoy it and I'm looking forward to retirement. So this will be stuff to uh, fill the hours that, that um, I'm going to have available to me and I'm looking forward to it. Also the in information that you gave us before about the family activities here, because it created the memories that you're always going to take along with you here. But what one thing I also noticed is that you didn't necessarily like photography. You weren't sure if you were interested but you just stepped out to find out. And, and there's so much opportunity in this hobby for that. So I think that is a good case in point that people involved when it should just keep an open mind about what might be out there for them. Well, I, I have to back up. I actually have had a lifelong interest in photography. I, I didn't know that I would be interested in helping instruct on it. But an example that I hadn't done before and dove into would be editing newsletters and that came about because Katie went on to college when she left to go to the to UC and and um, get her undergrad she really didn't have time for it anymore and so thinking that we were going to find others to do it I tried to take over in the interim and uh, there were a lot of times when I would call her up and say Hey, I'm stuck. I, I did something and now, you know, it doesn't work on the software. What did I do? And she could walk me through it and, uh, and fix it. And, uh, 
I just kind of grew to love the editing portion of it. And, and that grew also as the years went by. I now I have uh, a number of very talented writers that live both locally and across the country that contribute to our local Cincinnati numismatist. And it's a challenge to do it every month, but it's also um, very rewarding. So that would be something where I didn't know and I dove in and found out I really liked it. Awesome. So you, um, a moment ago, you mentioned all the, the friends and everything that you've made in the hobby. And that's, <laughs> um, uh, you sort of at, at many of the big shows, certainly the central states, you know, celebrate time with your friends with uh, wine tastings and their uh, special events for those who get to participate in that spirit to uh, to close things out. I have to ask, white or red? For me, it's definitely red. <laughs> Cabernets, uh, Cab Francs and Cab Sauvignon and Pinot Noirs and and basically any kind of red, you know, so many wines, so little time. <laughs> Very good. Hey, th that's my motto, except replace wine with coins. So there you go. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to interject here because okay. I mean, it's just the idea that you're asking this man who's in Cincinnati, white or red. And you think about the baseball team for just a second here. <laughs> And that, you know, you might have been tipped off on that answer. I know as a Cardinals fan, Jeff, you may not be as, as attuned to the Cincinnati Reds, but I go back to the Joe Knox all days. So, you know, <laughs> it's just that, uh, you know, just I have to throw that baseball reference. And we always have a baseball reference. But, uh, <laughs> Dave, one, one final thing I'd like to ask also in following up on that, but getting back to the newsletter. And uh, your position with the Cincinnati Club, and and we we know what we've been through in the last few years, and and getting back to everything here. How important was having uh, that regular newsletter to keeping the club and keeping the interest in the club and the work that you've done with the newsletter? Although I don't know for sure, I I think it must have uh, helped because, like many other clubs, we went through a period of no in-person meetings and, and having to do it via Zoom, which was okay. Um, and we actually got some out-of-town members who were able to participate in that regard and which we're trying to retain and working on making that better. But I, I think that receiving that newsletter in the mail every month kept people connected. Um, and maybe you can use this as a reference that uh, we have an annual dinner every April um, we had a skip it for the last two years, again, for COVID, but we had the most attendance we've had in, in my memory of 27 members. Um, so maybe the newsletter helped keep people involved. Awesome. Very good. Well, I thank you again for walking us through your journey and uh, your service to uh, the central states and Cincinnati and, and all that, uh, you know, you've always been so kind uh, to me and welcoming uh, when I was in Ohio and uh, we'd bump into each other at the, you know, the Sharonville show or maybe the, um, the Dublin Ohio show or whatever the case may be. So uh, until next time, uh, next show, um, all the best and thanks again. Welcome. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for having me. 
And that was our interview with David Heinrich of Cincinnati and uh, also part of the uh, Central States Numismatic Society. We are so delighted that he took the time to share his experience with everyone out there in Coin World Podcast Land. Well, yeah, we definitely do appreciate the fact that Dave spent that time and uh, his family, too, and the involvement that they have in all the things they do at the conventions, everything that goes along with all that. And it just gives me an opportunity. We mentioned earlier about this special issue that we're going to be doing here and uh, another aspect of it, one that wasn't part of our initial foray in 2021. We want to spend a little more time talking about the contributions that are made by the young numismatists that are out there. And there are so many of them out there and so many of them fly under the radar that uh, we're planning on doing some profiles of some of these folks that are collectors, whether they've started businesses, whatever the case may be, you know, they should just have the opportunity to uh, get themselves noted right there. So once again, um, my, my email address, I'm Larry Jewett. My email address does appear on the show notes. It's ljewett at amosmedia.com. So if you want to reach out, give me a suggestion, um, you know, and just a little background to help, but uh, we want to get some, some more folks involved with this. I mean, these are our leaders of tomorrow. So we want to make sure that we continue to recognize them because they're doing a job. They're making a part of this too. Perhaps you're a dealer. You have a young customer who shows up often, someone that you're uh, mentoring, perhaps love to hear from you about what's going on there. So just reach out to me if you would, and uh, we'll give some consideration to having some of these folks in here. I, I wouldn't mind doing, you know, a dozen or so. So I need your help on this. I can name four, and okay. they, well, they've, they've, they've all been on the Coin World podcast. I mean, a- Abby Zeckman is uh, a name that comes to mind. Thomas mm-hmm. Walker of just oh, yeah. a few weeks ago. Isaiah Hageman. Uh, oh, yeah. Who's the fourth one? Well, you hear him when Larry's not here. That's Chris Bullfinch. So oh, yes. uh, th- those, are, those are four that come to mind right away. I know I've got uh, – I have some other ideas, and you out there, listeners, probably have some ideas as well. So sh- please share them with Larry, and we can make that publication a success and, and tell everyone about these folks who are uh, the next generation of leaders. The first question comes to mind, where is the age limit? We're going to draw it at 30. Anybody okay. under 30. So that's okay. where we're going to put that right there. I mean, a person who's 31 years old, unfortunately, just falls out of that simply because there had to be a limit. And, uh, you know, young, in this case, is defined by chronological. It's not yeah. how long they've been in the journey, but it's defined by chronological. So yeah. that's what we want to go with there. Uh, again, every suggestion will be considered. Certainly, uh, you don't have to be, uh, you know, a, a superstar in this game. You just have to have the love for it. And then uh, if the, the person happens to be a minor, of course, we'll we'll deal with uh, talking with the parent or guardian before we uh, get too far down the road on this. Okay. So we're, we're very interested and uh, we're, we're looking to be very positive about this. I mean, I know the YN Awards coming up for the ANA and there's, there's some great names on that as well. So it's just great to hear that. And we finally got a forum where we can actually do a little more presentation to reward these people. And I, I look forward to doing that. And I appreciate your help. Awesome. So, you know, on that note, we thank you for being here. This It's a little longer, this show, but uh, we had fun doing it and hope you did uh, have fun listening. Until next week. Happy next week. I told you we're taking a hiatus. Until next episode. Thank you. Happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. 
CoinRow Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRow Plus at coinrowplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.